words can permit the work of the enemy in our life. How many of you realize that? Amen? Words can also release the work of God into and through our lives. And so anytime I receive prayer, I find that the real battle occurs after I receive it. When the enemy wants to come and uh, try to put back onto me something God removed from me or to talk me out of something God's working deep within me. But I found that I can maintain victory by staying in faith. And how do we stay in faith? By staying in the word, speaking, in the, speaking that word, then acting in line with the word. Amen? So if I um, you know, receive prayer for freedom from bitterness today, my strategy moving forward is going to be this. I thank you, God, for what you did at that altar. I thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit within me. I thank you, number one, that my forgiveness is not based on feeling. It is based on the facts of Calvary. And therefore, I can forgive whether I feel it or not. And I can stay in forgiveness whether I feel it or not. So the way that we, you remember the book of James talked about this concept that the tongue is a small member among many. And yet it's like the rudder of a ship that steers the entire vessel. It really is true that our lives are steered by the words that we speak. You ever found yourself speaking very, very negatively, and then you found yourself just in a horrible mood? Because what we speak permits the work of the enemy in our life. It also determines what we believe about ourselves, about others. I found myself in in some seasons, uh, you know, speaking things about certain people, and then when I was with them, you could feel. uh, I could feel. You know, my perception of them had changed because I had yielded to, to say certain things. And then I found other times as I begin to pray for people and I begin to speak the blessing of God over people, when I see them, there's a whole different dynamic. Isn't that true? And so you can release the kingdom of God into your family, into your home, into your relationships, and into your life by speaking the word of God. Amen? So I just want to encourage you uh, as we go forward. Anytime you leave a time of prayer, find a word. Get a word on that thing. Whatever it was that you prayed for, if it's healing, if it's deliverance, forgiveness, whatever it is, meditate on that word and pray that word and pray from that word as you move forward. Amen? How many believe that today? Everybody say, we are overcomers in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ Jesus. I'm a brand new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm an overcomer. I'm not defeated. I'm washed in the blood. I'm filled with the Spirit. The greater one lives on the inside of me. How many of you feel that as you begin to talk about it? I feel like I'm back in a Kenneth Copeland 19, uh, 1973 convention. I'm trying to move on, but uh, let me just share this uh, with you. I was on the plane yesterday, and I was reading through a book uh, that everybody should get. Uh, We have a school of discipleship we're working on, and this will be a part of the curriculum. But it's a book to be How to to Be Led by the Spirit of God uh, by Kenneth Hagin. And I was reading that book, I don't know, for the 50th, 500th time. (coughs) I was reading that, and one of the stories that jumped out was uh, he had prayed for a woman in in a prayer line who had a tumor, and that tumor had left, and she was healed. Uh, times were different back then. Churches were, you know, were smaller, and cities were smaller and all of that. He said two years later, at 2 o'clock in the morning, he got a knock on his front door. And he went to the front door, and here's this young woman with her mother, and they had driven to where he lived. 
And they said, she said, the tumor is back. Will you pray for me? And he said, sure. And he started to talk about the healing scriptures. And then she said, well, she said, I, I'm not even, you know, you know, really necessarily wanting a healing. I just want to get back to where I was in God. And he said, he, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and his patience was running thin. And he said, that's why you came here, to get back to where you are in God. And so he figured that she had maybe committed some heinous sin. As he began to talk to her, he realized all that she had done was lost the feeling. And so he said, I spoke in a way I probably shouldn't have, but it was at 2 o'clock in the morning. And he said, I, I said, I want you to watch me pray. And he began to pray in front of her. And this is what he began to pray and lead her in this prayer, just what I did with you, saying, in Jesus' name, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Whether I feel that or not, the facts are that the blood was shed for me. I take my place as a child of God. Feelings do not control my life, but faith in the word controls my life. I am a believer, not a doubter. I am filled with the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. The greater one lives on the inside of me. He said about halfway through his prayer, he began to feel on the sense on the inside of him a bubbling up of the joy of the Lord. His point was this, and he told this young lady, he said, I rarely feel like I'm a Christian. I rarely feel like praying, but when I begin to pray and act on the word, it engages my spirit because I am a spirit that has a soul and lives in a body. And as I was sitting on the plane, I was thinking there's so many believers that, that, that might not understand that principle, that it doesn't matter what happens on Monday. What matters is what happened on a Friday 2,000 years ago. Why are you stressing about Tuesday when you should be focusing on a Friday where Jesus hung on that cross and took our sins and took the weight of, of our shame? And what happened then on a Sunday should drive what happens on a Monday. And I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about 2,000 years ago. We're on the third day the son of the living God who had, who had died for our sins and been put in a grave. But on the third day, whether I feel it or not, whether I've got a bad Monday or not, whether you like me or not, whether they post something or not, on Sunday, I received all of the victory of heaven because he got up out of the grave. Somebody say amen. And if he got up, I can get up how? By taking my place in that word. I'm above and not beneath. I am filled with the wisdom of God. I am filled with the spirit of God. And my confession releases my faith that brings about an empowerment. So the power of God works as I walk into it. Somebody give God praise if you believe that. So what if we started living like that? It doesn't mean we don't have bad situations. It just means, are we going to react to the situation or respond to the word? Somebody say amen. amen. <sighs> what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Well, no, I get an offering to take to. I'll take the offering at the end. Is that okay? All right. Stay with me, if you will, and I'm going to talk about um, some thoughts on creating a creative space in prayer, and we'll just start here today. We won't get through it all. Uh, but I, I want to share this uh, with you. Second Kings, Second Kings chapter 3. Stand with me if you will. Stand with me if you will. You're like, we're not sure what to do. We're not sure what to do. Second Kings chapter 3. It happened when Ahab died. The king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. Then he went and sent Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. 
will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go? And he answered, by the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on the roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver, them into the, to deliver us in the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? The king of Israel looked at the circumstance and, and just watched what was happening and gave in. The king of Judah said, is there not a prophet? How many of you know in every situation in your life, you've got a choice to let the circumstance define your expectation or to say, is there not a word that could define this situation? Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and ask the prophets of your mother. He was a little bit of a grumpy prophet, and he was, you know, not feeling it with the Israelite king. Anyways, but the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the head of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you, but now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he says, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, create some space. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. And you shall attack every fortified city, every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. And now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. And they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water. And the Moabites, watch this, the enemies of God saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. Matthew chapter 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. When we create space for God... It becomes a creative space where God does the supernatural. How many of you believe that? And one of the most important places we create space is in our prayer life, where we intentionally create space to create space that God can make a creative space. Everybody say, when I pray, I create a space. 
to create space that God can make into a creative space. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, but but when you pray, right, that's creating space, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. That's creating space in prayer. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's where it becomes a creative space. So we create space to create prayer space so that God can fill that space with supernatural things. Amen? Second, in 2 Second Kings, the kings of Israel and Judah stood on the verge of battle against a powerful enemy. But there was no water in the land to sustain the troops or their animals. And so God told them, dig ditches to create space for water. And we just read the story. The scripture tells us that in the morning, the space they created became a divine creative space. As water from Edom flowed suddenly into the ditches. The scripture in verse number 20, it happened in the morning. They had to dig the ditches the night before, but when you dig ditches the night before, God will fill them in the morning. I wonder if sometimes we're not seeing the flow of God in the morning because we're not taking the step of faith in prayer to create something the night before. Do you know that the enemy will fight your prayer closet more than he will fight any other place in your life? Because, listen, we think it's just a time that we're going to get some relief. The enemy knows it's a time where we're going to dig some ditches. 2 Kings chapter chapter 3, verse 20. It happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom. And the land was filled with water. I don't know if they were expecting rain. I don't know what they were expecting, but God filled that ditches with, those ditches with water in an unconventional way. Why? Because they dug those ditches. They created space. The water refreshed and sustained the army and their animals. But to the enemy, this is what excites me, the water looked like blood. What if we begin to look at our prayer as a way to create space rather than just to take up some time or check a box? So that when we pray, we see ourselves digging ditches for the Holy Spirit to flow into and to make creative spaces from which he can change our worlds. Creative spaces that allow living water to flow to us, refreshing, life-giving, and sustaining. And creative spaces that when the enemy looks at them, all he sees is the blood. I don't know about you, but that experience exploded in my spirit today concerning the possibility of prayer. In fact, I believe when we created about 15 to 20 minutes within this service to pray for people, you know what we were doing? We were not going through a religious religious ritual. We were not just going through some type of weak religious activity. I think in the spirit we started to grab onto some, listen, onto some shovels and dig some ditches in the spirit that the Holy Spirit could begin to flow in with the anointing. How many of you believe that today? Listen, what you and I need is the living water of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, those that believe in me up out of their bellies shall flow rivers of living water that can go out and bring refreshing 
and bring life-giving sustenance to everyone that needs it. But you know the other side of that story is this. What we see is life-giving. I believe the enemy looks into this place today and all he sees is the blood. All he sees is the blood of Jesus that brings healing and deliverance and empowerment. Somebody give God praise if you believe that today. Man, how much more would we pray if we approached it as digging ditches? Like, if you knew that you could do something today that would produce an environment for a miracle tomorrow, would you do it? Brent and I just went to California, and you know what? In in November, I bought the tickets. I created space for a vacation in November so that I wouldn't wake up in November and say, I'd really like to go to the NAM show. But I can't because I didn't prepare for it. Or I'd really like to go to Disney so I can watch Bryn and her sister and mom dance all over the park. I'd love to do that. But if I don't create space for it, it doesn't happen. So check this out. How much of our prayer is reacting to what the enemy's already done? Rather than responding to the Holy Spirit as to what God told us he's going to do. I don't know about you, but I feel like that was my best point all day. And it's not in the notes. Like seriously, how much of our prayer is defensive? When what happened here is God said, I know you've got an enemy over there, and I'm telling you don't even mess around with him. Jehoshaphat says, we've been brought down here to be delivered over into the enemy's hands. And God says, don't worry about them. You dig a ditch. We've come out here. We can't even find water for our horses or our troops. What are we going to do about everything that brought us to this point? And God says, I don't care about what brought you to that point. I care about what you're going to do tomorrow. So dig a ditch today so I can do something supernatural that will not only deal with your past, but position you for your future. I feel in my spirit a word so strong that some of us need to get off the defense and begin to say, God, where are you taking us to the offense? What ditch do I need to dig for the power of God that's getting ready to come tomorrow. Somebody praise him if you believe that today. So what if we looked at prayer as creating space? In Matthew chapter 6, and and I'm going to give you the truncated version of this. We'll we'll come back and we'll um, expound on this next week. But Matthew 6, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, I believe he taught them to dig specific ditches. Specific creative spaces. Do you remember the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16? Uh, James says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Yeah. Yeah. Makes tremendous, tremendous power available is how the Amplified Version reads. So you could talk about fervency. You could talk about uh, the righteous man. You could talk about all of these different themes. What I believe sometimes we skip over is the effective prayer. 
Because while prayer is communication with God, there are certain spaces in prayer that become effective as we work them. How many of you, when, you have, when your car breaks down, you want an effective mechanic? How many of you prefer effective dentists? How many of you prefer effective doctors? We can learn to pray effectively. And one of the ways we learn to pray effectively is we follow the creative spaces in what is called the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the Disciples' Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, a space of intimacy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, a place, a space of authority. Give us this day our daily bread, a space of provision. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, a space for forgiveness received and given. When? Every time we pray so it can flow into our lives. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I see in there, I see a space of leading. I see a space of freedom. And I see a space of glory that fills the earth. How often do we approach prayer just as a last ditch scattershot hoping something hits the walls of heaven? And I feel like in 2020 that God wants to teach us. And I want to take my time and not just preach this to you. I want to teach this. Until we begin to value the prayer closet to a greater degree than any other space in our life. The future belongs to those that know how to pray. Can you give me five to seven minutes? Can I start touching on this? The first and most important prayer space, intimacy with God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't start with authority? He didn't even start with provision. He didn't even start with forgiveness. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. First two words. Our Father. Our Father. How often do we rush into the throne room when God is expecting intimacy. When we begin prayer with our Father, we create space for intimacy. The foundation of everything else we do in prayer and life. When we begin prayer with our Father, we create a space where, I, mean, I have to come back and preach these, but I, I, wanna, I know somebody today needs to hear some of these, so I just want to share these to you with you. When we begin prayer with our Father, we create a space where we pray from a place of identity and rest rather than need and panic. <laughs> you ever prayed from need and panic? In the last hour, two hours, three hours? You know when marriages break down is when they become all about need and panic and we skip intimacy. Close relationships begin to suffer when they only 
become all about need, and they lose the component of intimacy. And it's almost like Jesus is saying here, hey, listen, I want to teach you how to pray, but i got to teach you how to create space where you won't even find the right posture of prayer if you don't enter in knowing he's your father. Intimacy with God. Where we pray from a place of identity. He didn't say, pray to God, pray to the Lord. All of those things are good. He said, come to him as a father. Number two, when we pray like that, we pray like we're at home because we are at home. How many of you act completely different at home than you do anywhere else in your life? We just stayed with, uh, you know, our relatives in, in California. And you're at home, but you're not quite at home. You feel like you got to kind of make sure you picked up after yourself. You're not quite sure what you can take out of the fridge. We went and bought ourselves our own coffee because I just completely destroy their inventory of coffee every time. So I came and brought my own coffee, and I put it there, and, I, and I'm quite, not quite sure where everything goes. How many know what I'm talking about? In prayer, how, how often have you went into prayer and not quite, you weren't quite sure you belonged there. So you, you don't want to bump into the angels, and you're not quite sure. Listen, you're bringing some stuff in from the week you're not quite sure is legit, but you do have something you need from God, and you're hopeful that if you pray strong enough, loud enough, in tongues enough, in English enough, sit enough, wait enough, if you do all the right things, then and maybe God will hear you. You know the problem is we don't feel at home. Jesus is saying this. When you pray, I want you to know this is daddy's house. This is your house. When I got home last night, I didn't even take my stuff. I put my stuff next to the door. I sat down in my favorite chair. I went and got what I wanted out of the fridge. I said, listen, I started talking to my kids, and, and we, start, we have our inside jokes. There's a way you live at home that you don't live anywhere else. And you know what Jesus was saying when he said, when when you start prayer, before you get to forgiveness, before you get to deliverance, before you get to using your authority, you got to settle down into that chair and realize this is not only your father's house, this is your house, and I want you to feel like you're at home. Listen, there are words that God wants to speak to me that I won't even hear if I'm thinking that he's a distant God, if I'm feeling that he is somehow far away, if I'm feeling that I might be too close to the bust in the vase because I don't really belong here and I'm not quite sure how this all works. God is wanting to bring us into a season in 2020 where we step out of prayer that is formalistic and we're not quite sure we belong there into a conviction that I am my father's kid. I can enjoy him. I can hear from him. And then when I get ready to play, pray, you better believe it, devil. You're going to hear the authority of my father because you have come against our house. <sighs> I don't even know if I should get into the next one. Let me just throw it out. You're like, his statements mean absolutely nothing. When we start prayer... With intimacy. We learn to yield to the Holy Spirit who is constantly working to free us from prodigal mentalities. We all know the story of the prodigal son, and guess who we are in the story? 
prefer to think of myself as an older brother who's always done right. How many of you will raise just one hand's enough and say, yeah, I've been a little prodigal? Not many. How many say, I've been a little prodigal here and there? Right? The prodigal son takes the father's inheritance. You know the story. Takes it, goes into a far land, spends it in places he shouldn't spend it. Facebook is going wild with the stories. I mean, there's the pictures, you know, they're, they're tagging and, you know, prodigal, gone bad, you know, all these types of stuff. And they can see, you know, the older brother, he's upset because he can see all of this money going down, down, down the drain. And, and finally, this young man comes to himself, and the Bible says he comes to himself in the hog pit, and he wakes up. He is covered with mud. He is feeding on hog food. And he says, if only I can get back to my father's house at least I could be a slave there or a servant there. And he starts to make this long trek home. And I just want to share four things from that story. And I'm not going to be long, but I want to share four things from that story. Because I believe they are important to how we pray. I think too many of us are limited in our prayer life because we still see ourselves through a prodigal lens. And if you ask us, we'll say, we know we're, in the pro- we know we're in the Father's house, but we're not quite sure we belong here. And the reality is the more you try to fix yourself to belong there, to belong in the house, the more you can't. You know why? Because you can't fix yourself enough to be worthy to stay. Change is not the fruit of trying to be good enough to be accepted. Change is the fruit of realizing I'm accepted Hog pit and all. And from that revelation that he has accepted me, I then begin to change and live like someone who belongs. When Jordan, I don't know where he's at. Where did he, did he leave the building? Jordan. He uh, ran track for Miami for a couple years, and he was on the track team down there. And I remember um, watching him run in high school, and he had this evolution to where, you know, his first year, his freshman year, he did, he did terrible. His heart was not in it. Something happened, um, I think it was his sophomore year, and he grew a little bit, and he got focused on it, and ended up becoming r- really good. He uh, ended up running at Miami, and, you know, how many know at each level, you've got to find your, your, your feel there? So he was, uh, he was running, and, and he was doing well, but I, I remember a moment where I saw a switch. And he was running this race, and I saw him, and, and how many know it, it is absolute torture for parents to watch their kids play any sort of sport, whether they're three-year-old, it's three-year-old basketball or, you know, college competitions. I saw him, and there was a moment in this race, and this was my perception. It's like there was, there was a confidence there And he ended up winning this race. And when he crossed that finish line, something inside of me said he knows now he belongs here. And it shifted his mindset in other races because he knew he belonged. You know, I think one of the reasons why we don't pray more, I I don't know that we're convinced we belong there. So, So we have people we know that, They belong there, and we call them, and we'll say, hey, pray for me for this, and can you push me through on this? But as far as when we get into the presence of God, there's these things we don't feel like we belong. 
And I'll come back and preach these, but I just want to give these to you before we close today because I want to encourage you that there's a reason why Jesus said when you pray, before you talk about anything else, kick off your shoes and come in the door and sit in the chair and say, I'm just here to talk to my dad. I'm not trying to perform I'm not trying to pray in a way that I think you'll be accepted if I pray like this person or that person or long enough or shout, shout enough or silent enough or all these things that we think we need to do to make prayer successful. He says, when you come and just start talking to your dad. Because when we learn to yield to the Holy Spirit, and I, let me come back to this, and gosh, I'm trying to close this, but is this okay? I, I want to make sure I get this into somebody's heart today. What you say is important. The tongue is the rudder that that turns the ship. If that's true, what I pray and say about God is important. And I believe when I come and I address him and say, God, you know everything that happened before I got here into this little prayer meeting, and it's 5.30 in the morning, and I've already messed up a little bit, and I've only been up since 5.20, but you know what I've done since I got here. I had some thoughts. I had some junk. I have some residue, but you know what? I'm home, and right now I'm talking to Dad, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to yield to the Holy Spirit who has been given not to condemn me, but to help me to converse with my Father so that this space of prayer will become powerful to change things in my life. And you know, like the prodigal son, there were four things that he found. Number one is this, that the father we often run from is the very God that is running towards us. This prodigal begins to come home, and as he gets to the edge of the property, he looks up. His head's still down. His clothes are tattered. He's still got decay. He's got, listen, the, the dung and the mud from the hog pit are, 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 listen, they're down in his nails. It's over his face. His hair is likely unkempt. He doesn't look like the boy that left home, but he is coming, hoping that maybe he might be accepted back into the house in some sort of slave or servant position. But when he looks up, he is shocked to see that, listen, there's one man that is looking. There's an old man. He recognizes him even from a distance. That's his dad. That's his father. And he's not walking towards him. He's running towards him. Listen, this is, this is the Middle East. It, is, it must have shocked the hearers to hear this story, this wealthy landowner who does not run for anybody or from anyone. He's got servants at his beck and call. But the story goes on to say how this man and this great when he saw this young man lost all of his dignity and said, that's my son, and I've got to go reach him, and I've got to let him know that he's welcome back in the house. Every time I pray, our Father which art in heaven, the Holy Spirit starts to work that revelation on the inside of me to let me know you are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. There's been a price that is paid in the blood that has washed your sin, and you're a son of of the living God that knows I'm not, listen, every time you run after me, I'm running after you to let you know I'm passionate about who you are because I love you and want to give that revelation to you. Somebody say amen if you believe that. Every time I pray, our Father, which art in heaven, I'm creating space that allows the Holy Spirit to let me know that regardless of what happened in the hog pit, the Father has provided a complete restoration. 
a new robe, a new ring, and new shoes. Oh, I just don't have time to preach it. But how many of you have read the story before and you know that? Listen, this young man comes and he is in the father's embrace and he begins to kneel down before the father. He says, I have sinned before you. And the father responds not by saying, I know. I saw it on Facebook. I saw it on Twitter. I've heard all of it. Here's how much you owe me now. Get back there and begin to work it off. He says, he looks around, not at the boy. He looks around at the servants and says, bring me the best robe. You know what the best robe was? It was the father's robe. He said, I I want to reclothe him. I, want, I, I don't want anyone in this room to think of him anymore as to what he looked like when he came out of that hog pit. I want you to take my robe of authority and righteousness, and I want you to put it on him so that when he walks around the house, his reputation is not built on where he's been. His reputation in the spirit is built on where I have been, and he gives him a new robe. He gives him a new ring. You know what the ring was? Authority. <laughs> we'll talk about that in prayer. <laughs> Finally, he gives him new shoes. New shoes speak of that destiny and purpose. And every time I pray our Father, and I'll close with this thought, I'm reminded of the fact the Father has provided the ultimate sacrifice. Because that Father said, he said, bring the fatted calf, slay it. Shed the blood. And let's have a party today because my son has come home. Why do I want to pray and create space every day? Because I've got some prodigal mentalities that need to be slain. And when I pray our Father every day, that revelation begins to rise. How many of you believe that today? When we pray our Father, it affects every other place of prayer. And where the space becomes big enough for family, where my becomes an or. How many of you long to pray with greater authority and, and strength in your life? How many of you long for a prayer life that is not striving? But it's so natural where God begins to speak to us and we hear him and we move in his power. How many of you long for that? Everybody say it begins by praying our Father. If you're here today and if everyone would stand with me. If you're here today and you have not Receive Christ as your Savior. The most important decision you can ever make is to follow Him. The facts are we're all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The facts are the result of sin is death. Not just physical, but spiritual. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the third fact is this. Jesus has come to save us from our sins. How many of you believe that today? All of us will live eternity somewhere. And what God has done is he's made a way so that we can spend eternity with him. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to pray this prayer. Let's all pray this prayer together. We'll pray it together, but I specifically want you to pray it if you've never prayed it before. 
you're not sure that your life is right with God, you can be right with God today. You can be like that prodigal that comes home, that prodigal that comes home because he recognizes, I don't belong in this hog pit. And on his return, he discovers not only does he not belong in the hog pit, he does belong in the Father's house. We belong in the Father's house, but it takes the blood of Jesus to cleanse us. If you've never received him today as we pray this prayer, you can receive him into your heart. If you've prayed the prayer before, but you feel far away from God, God wants to give you a fresh start today. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you. Without you, I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. It's in the fallen nature that I'm born with to commit sin. But your word says that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. That means when Jesus was on the cross, he was dying for me, shedding blood for me. Perfection, dying for imperfection. So that I, in 2020, could look back to that cross and say, I receive the blood that was shed at that cross as the full payment for my sins. I turn from sin today. Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Come live in my heart. Forgive my sins. I receive it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen if you believe that. Well, let's give God a praise if you believe that today. We're going to take an offering and we're going to, you're going to be seated again. And we're going to...